Good morning. In his excellent essay entitled, When We Survey the Wondrous Cross, published in the most recent issue of Christianity Today magazine, Pastor J.Y. Kim writes very well. For followers of Jesus, death is not the end or even the beginning of the end. It is simply the end of the beginning and the beginning of eternity. While most Christians intellectually believe this to be true, our avoidance of death and even the talk of death seems to betray that belief. This is in part because, as anthropologist Anita Hanning observes, in the United States, the end of life has become so medicalized that death is often viewed as a failure rather than as an expected stage of life. We've been conditioned in large part by our cultural fixation on pleasure to ignore, deny, and even try to subvert death as a result. We fail to ponder, deeply consider, and look upon it. We forget the psalmist's reminder to number our days, Psalm 90 and verse 12. A call to reckon with our own limitations and the finitude of this life. Welcome to each of you who are joining us this morning to this, our special Bethesda Church Good Friday gathering to remember, celebrate, worship, praise, and hear from the one who purchased our redemption and brings us life, real and eternal, through his own death. Unfortunately, because of the weather, we're unable to be together this year. First, it was COVID for two years, and now it's Snowbageddon week. But I am very glad we now have, because of COVID, the ability to connect, whether via Zoom or through our live stream. It's not ideal. For example, we won't be able to share in Holy Communion as we usually do and as we had planned to do. But we still can worship, pray, praise, and thank God, and hear God's word concerning the death of Jesus on the cross, all as we ought to do. Before we begin dealing with our text for this morning, let's pray together. Our Father, we come before you once again in the name of Jesus, unto you and to each other by your spirit, and made one by your spirit and your word. Help us, Lord, to be of one mind and one heart this morning as we recognize, as we remember, as we acknowledge, as we celebrate. This. That sounds like a strange word to use when we're talking about the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, but it is a, a reason for celebration for us who have received the forgiveness of our sins because Jesus paid the penalty of our sins on the cross. And we also have further reason to celebrate because now that we have believed, we have received your Holy Spirit as a promised guarantee that he has sealed us until the day of redemption. We thank you for that promise. Lord, as we continue to gather here as we move through uh, these various scenes of meditations and, and worship. We pray, Lord, that you would join us and that you would be pleased in what we offer you, our one true and living God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent to save us. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus Christ gave himself over to death, that death should die, and we might live. This is an essential statement of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
that Jesus offered himself to God as perfect substitute and satisfactory sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. It's also the central truth of our meditation this morning. We'll survey Hebrews chapter 2 and what the whole book of Hebrews teaches us about Jesus' death on the cross. More than any other book in the New Testament, and indeed the whole Bible, the book of Hebrews is especially concerned with working through the various implications of Jesus' death, but also his resurrection and subsequent return, or his ascension back to his Father in heaven. On this Good Friday, we gather to remember the lengths to which God in Christ Jesus went and the price that Jesus paid with his blood, in his body, and by his estrangement from God, though he was himself God, to bring about the everlasting salvation of God's people. Our meditation for this morning is entitled, The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. This is also the title of a book about Jesus' death on the cross by John Owen, a 17th century Puritan preacher, and as I've shared with you, my favorite, dead theologian. John Owen wrote, The intention and design of Christ and his Father in this great work of the cross is clear and evident. Even what it was and towards whom? Namely, to save us to deliver us from evil, to purge and wash us, to make us holy, zealous, fruitful in good works, to render us acceptable to and to bring us unto God, for through Christ we have access into the grace wherein we, wherein we stand. So our message this Good Friday morning is the message of the book of Hebrews, which is, once again, Jesus Christ gave himself over to death, that death should die, and we might live. Our first scripture reading speaks of Jesus Christ, Son of God and heir of all things, becoming much superior to the angels. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Recognizing who it is that came to save us. Appreciating who it was who sent him and understanding why it had to be that way are all essential to remember well and in such a way that expresses to others through our teaching and testimony why we follow Jesus. Here in the first four verses of Hebrews 1, we get perhaps the best, clearest, and most compelling account of not only the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, which it certainly is, but also 
of the true and eternal identity of this Jesus Christ who went to the cross. Jesus Christ was from eternity past. He is now, and he will forever be the one and only son of the one and only true and living God, who was the one and only who could give himself unto death, and his death would su suffice as a substitute and sacrifice for sins. It becomes really hard for us, for anyone really, human beings at least, to comprehend this deep and abiding truth. Jesus Christ was beaten to within an inch of his earthly life, literally, only to be spat on, slapped in the face, ridiculed, and a crown of thorns jammed into his skull, only to be made to carry his own cross along the Via Dolorosa on the way to Golgotha, only to be hung up on a Roman cross by iron spikes driven through his wrists and feet until he died by asphyxia. Throughout that entire cruel, inhuman, searingly painful and humili humiliating process, affirmed by the way, by the leaders of his own people, Jesus was still in, these, in those moments an eternal member of the Holy Trinity meaning that no less than one-third of God died on that day. This is an important point and not much noticed. God is infinite in his being and perfect in his attributes, and Jesus was and is one-third of God's essence, if we can put it that way. So it's correct to say God died on that first Good Friday, likely April 3rd, 33 AD, at about 3 p.m. in the afternoon, just before the beginning of Passover Sabbath, which is good to note that Jesus lived and died in history. But not all of God died on the cross for our sins. Jesus Christ, one-third of the co-equal members of the Holy Trinity, died on the cross for our sins, which I believe is why the scripture writers seem to take pains in insisting that Jesus Christ did not raise himself from the dead. But God, or the Father, or the Holy Spirit, the scriptures speak in these ways, all three, raised Jesus from the dead. Not only that, but by some divine logic that transcends and defies any logic, morality, or solution that any human being would ever have conceived. This suffering and death made the limitless perfections of God's Son better, more whole, even more joyful. Hebrews 12 puts it this way from verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Just one thing, one more thing before we move on. When we read that God's Son, Jesus Christ, 
having been come, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs, we might hear something like, Jesus was once lower than the angels, or that he had been lacking something at some point and needed that to be added to his person, or his experience, or his essence, or his work, and that he needed some improvement of some sort, that he was in some way deficient or not whole. That's definitely not the point the writer of Hebrews is making. First, Jesus did leave his station as one of three members of the Holy, the Holy Trinity. And by becoming human, in that way, Jesus did become for a time, as David said, a little lower than the angels, Psalm 8 and verse 5. But secondly, though Jesus was and is God, eternally complete and whole, a full member of the eternal and holy trinity, through these new and terrible experiences of suffering, God himself on the cross, dying for the sins of the whole world, Jesus became even more of himself. Jesus Christ, Son of God, heir of all things, becoming much superior to the angels. Good morning. It's nice to see you guys again. Um, I'll be reading Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Jesus Christ, word and bearer of such a great salvation. My favorite identification of Jesus Christ in the Bible is every bit as much a theological statement as an expression of his being. It's Jesus Christ, word in the flesh. The incarnation of the Son of the one true and living God as the very embodiment of his own word, Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews also highlights this fundamental aspect of Jesus' being, but it adds something more in chapter 1 and chapter 4. Jesus Christ is more than a book to be read or not and placed back on a shelf. He's also more than a human being who can be ignored. Jesus Christ is God, and he is God's word. He both embodies and he declares his own gospel. He and his is the sort of word that is also proclaimed by angels by prophets, by his people, and he is a living and active word 
sharper than any two-edged sword, Hebrews 4 and 12. Indeed, there is a sense in which Jesus Christ is God's final word. Not in the sense that God no longer speaks, he certainly does. But Jesus Christ is the supreme expression of God's word, and he is the singular standard, the word for all who would follow him. And because of this, because of who Jesus Christ is, the writer of Hebrews warns us in the first of his several warnings, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And in verse 3, how shall we escape if we, are, if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard it, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Of course, Jesus Christ didn't only speak his life, ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension into existence as if a nice, enjoyable, even compelling story would do. No, God's Son actually became a part of our history. Perhaps, to put it in scientific terms, we might say he entered our dimension. Jesus Christ manifested himself as fully human on this earth, and he lived out every excruciating detail, and the joyful ones too. Friends, Jesus bore in his own body the weight the fury of God's good and righteous wrath against sin and the penalty for sins, even the sins of the whole world, which is what both Good Friday and the book of Hebrews were and are all about. Jesus Christ, word and bearer of such a great salvation. Our next scripture reading has the subheading Jesus Christ, Sovereign Son, substituting himself for us in death. The reading is from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, you might taste death for everyone. One of the more often neglected aspects of the biblical Christian faith and practice is the reality of God's sovereignty. That he is our king if we are his people. And therefore, the parallel reality that his one and only son is no less sovereign than he. Jesus Christ is Lord. But our passage in Hebrews 2, specifically verses 5 through 9, which Ron just read, makes an even better, bigger 
and bolder claim, which is this. Upon the culmination of his death, resurrection, and return to the Father, the Father delegated to his Son, Jesus Christ, his own sovereignty, that he, Jesus Christ, might reign over as well as sustain all creation by the power of his word. Here from verse 5 we read, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to, to come, of which we are speaking. Verse 8, Now in putting everything in subjection to Christ, God left nothing outside his control. Though at present we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In some real and eternal sense, the suffering and dying of Jesus Christ qualified him to become and to be, though he always was since before the foundation of the world, both Savior and Lord. It's this true lordship that we often cringe from and seek to avoid. But it's as essential as any doctrine and any practice in the biblical Christian faith. Jesus Christ, sovereign son, substituting himself for us in death. Jesus Christ, founder and guarantor of our salvation, perfect through suffering. Hebrews chapter 2, reading from verse 10 to verse 18. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified have all one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to, be, to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I, and the children of God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same nature, that through death he might destroy him who has power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong bondage. For surely it is not with angels that he is concerned, but with the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make expiation for the sins of the people, for because he himself has suffered and been tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. The word of the Lord.
The Bible teaches us that one fundamental character quality of God is that he finishes whatever he starts. So as founder or pioneer, as Michael's translation uh, read, and guarantor of our salvation, Jesus Christ puts himself in the position of being both the one who secures our salvation and the one who sees it through. He's both the principle of our debt and the interest of our debt. If we, rem if we render Hebrews 12, verse 2 from the Greek New Testament, literally, we learn that Jesus Christ is both, as Michael's translation put it, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The idea here is that Jesus Christ blazes the trail leading to salvation before us, and he secures us to the end. Some English translations render the text in Hebrews 12 too, the author and finisher of our faith, or the founder and perfecter of our faith, as my English standard version does. Either way, the truth is, Jesus is both the beginning and the end of our salvation, which he himself purchased both on the cross that day and before the world began, since before the foundation of the world. And what does our text in Hebrews 2 tell us? Look with me again from verse 10. For it was fitting that God, for whom and by whom all things exist, in beginning, I'm sorry, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, should make the founder of their, of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who purifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why Jesus Christ is not ashamed to call them, to call us even, brothers and sisters. Finally, we, we, we could not leave this discussion, or at least we shouldn't, without noting that we've been looking at the biblical background of these events on the first Good Friday and Easter Sunday, and that is God's ongoing war against sin, death, and the devil. We've seen over the last few weeks that this war has been raging since before the foundation of the world. But Jesus struck the death blow to all the forces of evil when he made a full frontal assault, which was the only way forward to the end. It was not the end, clearly, as the war rages on. It was, just as clearly, though, the beginning of the end. And what did Michael read from the text, specifically verses 14 and 15? Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus Christ, the very Son of the living God, offered himself to this same God, his Father and ours, as the perfect and perfectly satisfactory substitute for the forgiveness of sins. Your sin, my sin, indeed, the sins of the whole world. Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. And he secures us in this salvation, this forgiveness of our sins, past, present, and future, by the Holy Spirit, who seals us into this state of being saved until the day of redemption. 
The book of Ephesians helps us here in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, where we read, In him, or in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is, is the guarantee of our inheritance. Notice here, the Holy Spirit is our, is our guarantee. Jesus is our guarantor of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, that is, our salvation, to the praise of his glory. And so we conclude part one of our meditation on the death of death and the death of Christ in the same way the Holy Spirit concludes Hebrews 2, and that is with verses 16, 17, and 18. For surely it is not angels that Christ helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, or to make atoning sacrifice of himself for the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus Christ, founder and guarantor, of our salvation, made perfect through suffering. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you so much once again for sending Jesus on our behalf. And, for, and, and Lord Jesus, we confess that without you, we are lost, totally lost, without hope in this world and without God. So we thank you for coming, for being at one with your Father, both in essence and in purpose. And so fulfilled the very word of God, you being the word of God embodied. And you went to the cross having bore on your broken body and in your shed blood the, the penalty for our sins, that God's wrath might be assuaged and his mercy released. We thank you so much for the grace of God that we have right at our disposal. And there's just one requirement that we believe, that we receive it by faith. May we all understand that we must be saved, and the name by which we must be saved is Jesus Christ. And so we receive, Lord, all that you have given for us by faith, and we want to walk as your people. Help us to do so, giving the testimony to the world and to those across the street that Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice for all who would believe. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been The Death of Death in the Death of Christ, Part 1, in the Easter Word and Worship series, In Christ Jesus, God has overcome sin and death once for all forever. We do hope you'll be able to join us on Sunday for our Easter Word and Worship gathering in person or on our live stream at 10 a.m., where we will conclude our series and this message. Our benedictory text for this morning comes from the little one-chapter book of Philemon, just before Hebrews, so it might even be on the same page as Hebrews chapter 2, or the facing page, perhaps. The very last verse, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen and amen.
See you Sunday.